Good vibes and acts of kindness, everybody. Welcome to Search and Destroy, our Call of Duty League program. Arda and Emily with you for the next hour or so. We are here every single Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Start on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and the ESPN app. So the playoffs are a little bit ways away. We have an off week in Call of Duty League. Season 5 came out. Shout out to Stadium. Now the roof is finally open. And I will say... Beautiful inside, Emily. Beautiful inside. It does. Love it. It looks nice. Yeah. That's not what we're going to talk about for the rest of the show. No, no, no. Give a shout out. Uh, we decided we would do something a little bit different, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, we're going to give out some regular season awards. So some of the categories, maybe I'll give you one or two that you can look forward to. Storyline of the year. You can only imagine what we have to say about that. Surprise team of the regular season and more coming up later in the show but let's go back to season five launches on modern warfare we got a war zone expansion we got some open areas we got a moving train we got 75 million people playing the game and i know we've talked about this on this show a lot emily but mm -hmm. this really just adds an exclamation mark to Warzone being the diamond of cod this year I mean, it's it's like uh, Scump said, right? Like it basically it saved modern warfare, like in general. Um, I think one of the things that always like impresses me, like I got into a discussion. I was talking to you about this off uh, camera, but I got into a discussion with a friend of mine who's not in the uh, not in the competitive COD scene at all, and like he had no idea how bad Modern Warfare was. He just played Warzone and just knew of its popularity. So, I mean, yeah, uh, it's it's been very fortunate for them that it's been as popular as it is. So the other thing to this, obviously, is we know that there's a Call of Duty release every year, as you would guess, as you would surmise, this happens every year. We haven't heard too much about it. Like, this is an odd year. Obviously, there was a Doritos leak. Yeah, well, yeah, other than <laughs> other than if you eat snacks, you already know about this, okay? You already know about Black Ops Cold War. This is old news for you. But we usually have more information about the mm -hmm. next Call of Duty release at this point of the year in early August. So obviously the pandemic, obviously what's going on in the world, but there seems to be still a course set for Q4 2020. Uh, according to the in earnings and investment call that happened with Activision. And it sounds like the free-to-play elements will carry over to the next title, including Warzone itself, uh, which will be very interesting if that is to happen. If we do see Warzone, because that has been one of the big rumors, is that Warzone may very well carry over to the next title. And why not? Because it's so popular. It's, yeah, so I mean... It's really interesting because as we've seen from the last Battle Royale, obviously uh, Blackout did not carry over, yes. right? Uh, but it also was not as insanely popular as Warzone. So it's interesting only because you're bridging a gap between two different developers in Infinity Ward and now Treyarch, who I know people were, we already, we already knew that they were going to be doing the next COD, but people can now, uh, especially pros, I think, can breathe a sigh of relief because they already know that Treyarch is someone who's willing to work with them and at least have discussions about stuff in the game as it pertains to competitive. So we that's do also have, good news. We at least have uh, a co confirmation of COD 2020. D developers of Treyarch and Raven Software did send out mm -hmm. tweets, as you saw there, saying it's official. Looking forward to showing you what we've been cooking up with Raven Software. So... Uh, okay, you've talked about Treyarch before on the show, Emily, but just as a refresher, how 
as, especially as it pertains to esports, especially as it pertains to Call of Duty League, what do you expect from the interactions with Treyarch as opposed to, you know, the mild comments that you've had about Infinity Ward? All yes, yes, very mild comments. Um, the big difference is obviously just going to be that when pros go into playtest stuff, um, when they encounter bugs, uh, et cetera, within the game itself, I think we'll see a lot clearer channel of communication. It's like, not only is Treyarch known for being a developer who talks to the competitive community a lot more, but especially after this past year with how awful things were and how because it's like a game developer thing and how the game itself was designed, we don't have any... Um, like th there's only so much Activision can do, right? Even though they're in charge of the league, like there's only so much the league itself can do when facilitating communication if you have a developer that's not willing to talk to pros. So I feel like what I hope is that pros feel a lot more listened to and involved. Um, and if something does come up that Treyarch at least will have a response. We won't see these things like, oh, we snuck in a spawn change in this patch and didn't announce it. Uh, surprise, like that kind of thing will not happen as well. And what I'm really crossing my fingers for is better map design, because I've said this before, oh, bears worth repeating. I've also said it about Valorant. Maps are the most important thing in your competitive FPS. Yeah, and, and in particular, how those maps are structured, as we've talked about for sure, as you've mentioned many times. And uh, I guess maps. like... Always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and rightfully so. So, so that's coming up. Uh, actually, uh, DPT Dave is in the chat, and he makes a good point. He says, usually by now, the current gen COD hype dies down, which is understandable because usually mm -hmm. by the end of a game cycle, the hype does die down. It feels like it feels like how popular Warzone is. Next gen COD seems almost too soon. I'm sure that the competitors are not saying that. I'm sure the Warzone enthusiasts are saying that because Warzone is still so much fun. Uh, but I do, I, I, I will say that I really do hope that it is confirmed that Warzone will continue and it will be baked in somehow to the new release, or even if it's a stand, I don't know if it's what's going to happen there, whether there will be some sort of collaboration with Treyarch and Infinity Ward such that Warzone can carry over as an add-on to the game, or maybe even it'll become a standalone title, I don't know, but I just don't see how any other BR would even want to compete like, even if Treyarch had designs on making a BR, why even make a BR? Yeah, when so you popular. already have something popular, and it's probably not going to replace it. Yeah. Exactly. The only, the no, only no thing chance. is bridging the gap between developers. That's yeah. the real, like, big hiccup that I can see. Well, if Infinity Ward doesn't care about esports, let's hope that Infinity but they do, Ward cares they about do bridging. They do care yeah. about Warzone. <laughs> yes. Let's hope they care about, <laughs> about community merge. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, so that's uh, that's 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 a conversation there on season five. Hopefully, you're all enjoying it. Seems like the chat is enjoying it very much, and especially the loot train. Apparently, there's a speeding train that can uh, crush you, but also gives you a lot of good stuff. So that's cool. Uh, never, never not a fan of moving uh, speeding trains. So that's fun. Uh, but we have a lot of awards to get to. This is going to be our regular season awards edition of Search and Destroy. We have a lot of awards to give out. Uh, a few, actually. And we're going to give you details on why we gave out these awards. This is for the regular season from start to finish. It does include inaugural weekend. It does include LAN and the online portion. So let's begin, Emily, with storyline of the year. If you were to give one storyline of the year. Uh, and, and I will say this. I think that this year is 
I mean, I, I haven't been covering COD for a very long time, but I would guess, and I think I wouldn't be too far off in saying that this was probably the most storyline-rich COD season for many external conditions that probably ranks in the top three. Has to be. Has to be. It It's, like, for external reasons, yes. Like, we've had, like, really super competitive COD seasons. We've had, like, a ton of drama with people switching teams and stuff like that, but... This year had a lot of external factors and extenuating circumstances that really impacted the overall season, and that cannot be ignored. So uh, that should give you a hint as to the, the two things we each are going to talk about, because Art and I gave different, uh, different awards on this one. You start. You start. Your storyline of the year in Call of Duty League right. is? So my, st <laughs> my storyline of the year is the game itself so modern warfare um but then also as an extension of that gentleman's agreements and the reason why i'm bringing up ga's is because ga's have always existed they're not a new story but when i was trying to talk about them even at the beginning of this year where i was like i want to write something on ga's and how cool this is that this happens in cod that you know pros have kind of developed this way to make themselves heard when they feel like they can't be um, it was really hush hush. And even though pros are more than willing to like, talk to me about it off the record, they, no one in the league wanted to talk about it. The teams didn't want to talk about it. Even though it was this big open secret, people really didn't want to talk about it. I found myself having to explain, I know I've brought this up before, but like our video producer for the show, Jarrett, like we had this whole thing about how like one of the perks that someone was using wasn't the same as like Lacefield's band perk in week one. I had to explain GAs and how they worked and why killstreaks were here, why they're still showing killstreaks on the board. Um, and so it's always been this weird, like muddy thing. And this is the season where because Mar Warfare is so bad, such a bad game for competitive, we ended up having GAs being brought to the forefront for a few reasons. One, because they were necessary in some cases, but two, because they got so overly specific that a non-zero amount of pros came out and were like, okay, we started this in Black Ops 4 and we thought it was bad then. It's really bad this year. Why are we banning all of this stuff? So I think um, that was really the storyline for me. I did not expect that to happen. I didn't expect people to be talking about GAs as openly as they have, um, which just tells you, A, how far some pros think they've been taken, which is like overly, uh, you know, like overly insular and like really restricting what you can do in the game um, as opposed to just being a bargaining chip with like, Hey, killstreaks are overpowered. We can't use them in this game. Otherwise it's just going to be dumb. Um, which I think is something that should be G8, right? Because I yes. wouldn't want to see killstreaks in modern warfare. Uh, so yeah, that is my storyline. It was really big to me um, to, to see that happen. And that's why I chose it. And the uh that's an excellent choice i don't think anyone's going to argue that one the one thing about gentlemen's agreements that i found fascinating was the relationship between the information of gentlemen's agreements and the league itself because <laughs> yeah. it went from under the rug complete secret society to you see it on the broadcast there is a board a graphic yeah. that is telling you all the gentlemen's agreements and then they disappear again. It, it was like a roller coaster of peeking behind the curtain. 
You know, it was like, imagine in pro wrestling, you re the, uh, the secrets of pro wrestling are hidden. And then one week they come out and say, oh yeah, no, this is how we punch. And this is how we body slam to protect ourselves. And yeah, everything is predetermined. And then the next week they go right back to nothing as if they never said that again. It was the weirdest thing, right? It was like, are we supposed, are we, are we talking about these now? Are we not talking about them? The casters were mentioning them. It was like, all right, I guess we're here now. And then it went away. Uh, that brings me to, uh, my storyline of the year is, and, and I, and you've heard me say this on the show. If there was one year to have the absolute worst call of duty release for competitive, it would be in the year in which the world, uh, is in the state of a pandemic. And that to me, the reason I picked the pandemic, that's an obvious choice. It's low-hanging yeah. fruit for this one. It's its probably many people's choice for any eSport, period. What I will say is the reason I picked it for COD, I mean, you can say this for any league, really, but when we look back on 2020 in an eSports league, particularly Call of Duty league, really the storylines minus the pandemic would have been what Emily said. Maybe the fact that it was CDL's first year. Maybe mm -hmm. it was the fact that the competition had increased because we went from 16 to 14 teams or, or, or like, or sorry, just like the, the pool of, of available uh, players shrunk and the competition was so fierce and any team could beat any team. And, 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 and maybe Prestini and, and our cities, if you're looking for like a player storyline and how they were separated and the brothers, et cetera, we'll get to that in a little bit too. Cause that's a, a, a future award possibility there. But to me, you look back on this uh, season in 10 years and the first thing that you have to mention is the fact that it was played completely online because people were social distancing and it wasn't safe to come together on LAN. And I'm even surprised we were on LAN as much as we were. We were in Atlanta. You were in Los yep. Angeles. I'm shocked you went to Los Angeles. Same. Uh, I was really surprised that they were holding it, to be honest. And the the procedures for that were like there was hand sanitizer everywhere there were wipes like we were wiping down the microphone after every single like thing but there was still not as much of a focus on like masking and stuff like that um i wore a mask on the train to get there uh and to come back but i did not wear a mask inside uh whereas like now i think i definitely would um, because I wear a mask every time I step out of my house, even if it's just to go inside like my sure, uh, apartment complex. Um, and yeah, like I was, I was really, really surprised. I think at that point they were still trying to figure out like, if we cancel this event, we then have to, you know, commit to going fully online and, and cancel everything. And at that time, I think we were definitely still, we weren't in the dark about the pandemic, but people were still really, really just kind of crossing their fingers that it wasn't going to hit us as badly as it did. And it wasn't going to be handled as poorly as it was um, and has been. So yeah, I think uh, that obviously didn't come to fruition. I was shocked that that home, home stand held up, um, but I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard any sort of like contact tracing that was like, you know, the LA home stand was blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, we went online yeah. two weeks later. And, and, and with that, of course, comes all of the sub storylines of, okay, well now we have problems with servers and now we have problems with people in different locations. Like the pandemic really mm -hmm. go the more specifically, the season going completely online opened a whole can of worms of different issues that we would never would have even thought of. And actually 
it might have also because remember, like use the Florida Mutineers as a perfect example. That LA homestand, they are, or sorry, the is it? It was LA that they participated yeah. in, right? Yeah, that, that LA. Event. That's right. That LA homestand, they almost didn't show up. So when I talked to Pristini, he was talking about that week leading up. They were concerned. Well, a lot of pros were concerned. Yeah. They ended up showing up, but Florida were it was an eleventh hour decision. They said we don't want to go, and so they were. It was almost the case where they stayed home. And so if that, you, you got to think like things like that wouldn't have happened had there not been a pandemic. And maybe what would happen if 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 those sort of stresses didn't exist? Because certainly a situation like that would be exacerbated by what's happening in the world. So. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, things might. I think a lot of timelines were pushed up. You know, decisions were were pushed up. Except maybe Minnesota, who who stuck to their guns the whole season uh, for good or bad. But like, there were a lot of decisions that were made that were pandemic related. Some were very good, and some were very bad, particularly in roster moves. So, uh, let's move on to our next award. This one is surprise team of the regular season. There are two subcategories here. There is the good surprise team of the regular season, and then there is the bad surprise team of the regular season should we start with good yeah let's go with good because okay. we agreed on these two so oh we did okay great so you uh, take good i'll take bad then all right so good i think is florida mutineers uh they really surprised me um as as early as lan actually because we talk about that atlanta homestand um and the fact that they like quote unquote overperformed there um but even then you saw inklings of like what the team would become despite the roster changes. Uh, Pharaoh coming seemed to suit their play style a lot more. He was a little bit slower in pace. Uh, whereas like when we think of Pristini, we think of him running out, right? Like immediately and, and being super aggressive right off the, the jump. But um, Pharaoh's a little bit more uh, slow and it seemed to suit the team. Well, like slow is not a, a pejorative here. Um, and then we had, the arrival of Awakening, uh, which really established this team as, you know, one of the better teams in the league when it went online. Um, and while you can say like, okay, we haven't seen them really tested on land because they made roster changes and, and the, you know, the, the main person we're talking about in that regard is Awakening because he hasn't been tested on land yet. You cannot like undersell what he's done for this team um, and, and how well they did perform for a stretch of time. They were the first team to win three titles this year. Uh, and that was super impressive. And I was not expecting this out of Florida whatsoever at the beginning of the year. They were truly the best team to adapt to land, uh, to online. Like yeah. they, 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 they were your favorite. You've yeah, been a mutineers, 100%. a mutineers, uh, proponent so, since the very beginning. I remember actually you and I had, a, I remember you and I had a conversation after Atlanta yeah. where we were both I like, like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we were both like wondering, like, ah, I don't know, kind of because we were still like everyone, us and everyone were still on the Minnesota train, right? And we were kind of like, ah, I don't know about this. Like, this seems like a fluke, a flash in the pan. We don't believe it. And then especially after Atlanta dismantled them in that Atlanta home series final, we were just like, okay, I mean, this is all we needed to see. And then, and then we gave them a sliver of hope going into Los Angeles. And then they got dismantled by Dallas before uh, in the first game on Sunday going into the uh, semifinal, right? And then it was like, oh, okay, I don't know if we can even uh, trust this team being a contender in, in future tournaments. And then 
everything goes online and then they shocked and and, and it, it, it's weird it's almost as if if you just look at their results without any context somebody looking at it for the first time would go to the Dallas home series after digesting the first four weeks and be like yeah okay this it's nothing doesn't look that out of northern they made a final but like yeah right but with the context you're like this is surprising but like then it became even I mean, even the way we were talking two tournament wins and we're like, ah, I don't know if they're contending against the top three. You know, like we even had they they get they had doubt almost every step of the way, but they earned respect, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's even more impressive. The, but the, the, the odds were against them in people's perceptions for the whole season. And they they still are right. Like even going in champs, people are like, <laughs> uh, I don't know about this team. They're not looking nearly as good. So. Hopefully they can take that and and use it as fuel for, you know, going in champs. They still made top four. So the other side of that is the surprising team of the year uh, on the negative side. And that would be the Minnesota Rocker, which is very disappointing uh, and unfortunate to say because they are a very good team. They are also the biggest victim of circumstance in the sense that they decided that win or lose, they will stay loyal to their team. And... It pains me to say that that may not have been the best decision only because loyalty is such a trait that should be revered. But with that in mind, every single tournament you left that Minnesota participated in, you left thinking, where was their performance? It seemed like they underperformed every tournament especially as compared to what they did on land and their numbers regressed. Unfortunately, if you're looking at it from a statistic analytics perspective, they only procured what maybe 30 points online in total. So like 10 points here and there in certain tournaments and more often than not a goose egg in many tournaments. And then finally before champs, they make the change with God RX coming out and exceed coming in. And that's, also, I mean, it's shocking in some ways because GodRx is such an incredible player and he was really the big reason why Minnesota was doing so good on LAN and one of the big reasons why that team was seen as the fourth place, the best of the rest, as we talked about them at the start of the season, particularly on LAN. And it has to be said, if not for the pandemic, they probably would be in fourth or third. Maybe they would have been the Florida position where they would have captured a couple tournaments and upset teams like the FaZe and, and Dallas, etc. But instead, here we are talking about them as a team that, yeah, every team makes the playoffs. But how many people, other than if you are a Minnesota Rocker fan or work for them, have any faith in them going into champs? Yeah, I mean, the crushing thing about Minnesota is how good they were. And how much thought actually went into how this roster was designed and how they were going to work together uh, with their starting five. Um, And it's just really sad what happened to them online, because I think part of it was just that they weren't all in the same place, um, which affected them really adversely. Uh, And, and that was kind of one of the ultimate reasonings behind um, the, their roster changes when they did make them. So it it just really stinks, right? Because you you saw this roster together on LAN. They looked so formidable. They looked like they were going to, they were on that bubble of contending with the big three that we had highlighted in Dallas, FaZe, and uh, the Huntsman. And then the pandemic hit and they just 
could not perform online as well as they did online. And it's just, it's really sad because it's not like a lack of talent, you know? No, it's not. That's the problem. But online is a different beast. And so unfortunately, what I, and, and again, it's like they stuck with the team for the whole season, hoping that it would turn around and it just, the gamble didn't pay off. Right. Like they had a season vision and unfortunately external factors played into that. And this is the situation that they're in. Yeah, I mean, it's it was tough also because just like they again, like uh, some players were not in the facility in Minnesota, right? Um, they had initial difficulty adjusting online, but then part of that was the distance as well. Uh, and then there was that one uh, where Alex like hurt his hand, I believe, um, which was also just yeah, a like, unlucky yeah. circumstance. Um, and I mean, I, it's hard because I don't blame them for sticking with this roster. Like they're, they're so talented and they worked so well together at the beginning of the year um, that it, it was, it's really hard to see, like in hindsight, we can say like, oh, you know, they struggled, they should have changed it sooner. But like in the moment, if you are remembering how well this team clicked and how you built this roster so that they would get along uh as well as they did. And so they would be able to, you know, go toe to toe with like, they were the first team that was able to go toe to toe with the phase in, in just like straight up gunfights. Like people forget that, but it actually happened on land at the beginning of this year. Yes. And you know, like it's, it's just so sad to see this happen to Minnesota. Like I hate giving them this award. It hurts. It does. It does. Hopefully they prove us wrong in champs and they go, they have a long run or that remains to be seen, of course. So, but yeah, that's, uh, those are our picks. We, uh, like you said, we both had the same picks for good and bad Florida for good Minnesota for bad. Uh, speaking of Minnesota, they did play a part in our match of the regular season. Mm -hmm. In fact, they were involved in your match of the regular season. Who'd you pick? So I picked the LA homestand final, um, for a few reasons. One, this was the homestand where like we talked previously about uh, the the becoming of Minnesota, you know, like how they were up and coming. They narrowly lost to Atlanta. And this was the, you know, the the event where they beat Atlanta 3-2, right, instead of getting beaten. And it was this huge thing. And they were able to keep up with the phasing gunfights and, and beat them on S&D, which was like pretty – pretty like probably the most impressive thing because Atlanta had also looked really good in SD as well. Um and they went into this uh matchup against the fuel or oh my gosh the fuel wow it's because I was doing Overwatch League news before this. The <laughs> Empire um they go up in this match against the Empire where everyone still wasn't believing in the Empire despite uh performing a lot better in their second event like everyone was just like i don't know dallas are probably still terrible because we saw them launch weekend and like even though they're here you know they beat optic who snuck through and optic haven't looked that great either and um you know this was also dallas's like firm stamp as as to like we are a good team shut up um (laughs) you know like stop thinking of our launch weekend and the fact that they changed the patch on us um, as, as the end all be all definition of this team. Stop saying that Shotzi and Illy suck. 
because that was the narrative. Like we're talking about Shotzi as an MVP candidate later. The beginning of the year, people were like, well, Shotzi and Illy have to show up. Otherwise this team's donezo, you know, like after, after one event. And, uh, and this was the, the reason why I really picked this was also to highlight like a, how good Minnesota were. Cause this is a great match by the way, but then also to highlight that this was Dallas, like for the narrative, this was Dallas's like firm shut up. Like we are here. We are a good team. We designed this roster really specifically around our rookies and veterans. We picked these people specifically. You think it was a risk. We don't think so. And we're going to prove you wrong. And I loved that they did it. You know, like I, I love that they also were able to do it on land before the online uh, season hit. Because I feel like if they hadn't won this LAN event, then people would have gone into being like, well, they're only an online team, of course, because, you know, these guys are only onliners anyway, which was already a thing that people were saying because of their scrum results. So that's why I picked Dallas, Minnesota. It's a 3-2 final. It was a great final. Go back and watch it, um, not only for the, the actual play, but for the narratives. And you can see Minnesota at a time when they were really good as well. Yes, and that actually plays very well into the series that I picked. Mm -hmm. uh, so by that time, Dallas had gotten, like you said, the reputation of not being able to win, particularly from the London series where they got demolished in the final to the Chicago Huntsman. So it at one point, especially after that first tournament weekend, though mm -hmm. the big three was still a thing going into the season, Atlanta, Dallas, Chicago... After that London home series, everyone was focused on Atlanta and Chicago, and that's the matchup they wanted. And of course, by now we know that it would take almost the rest of the season to finally see the damn matchup. And but, it was disappointing. Yes, and it was very disappointing. By that time, it was like anticlimactic, right? But after that Chicago victory, they were riding high. Dallas didn't have a leg to stand on at the point. But then we went to the Atlanta series, and this was going to be like the showpiece for Atlanta, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And to their credit, they did their part. They Minnesota took them to the limit. Let's give them credit there. In the semifinal, it, it came down to the first semifinal between Minnesota and Atlanta, and Atlanta squeaked by Minnesota to get to the final. So piece number one was set. Okay, and Dallas was not part of this home series. So now we were looking at Chicago versus Florida, which ends up being my favorite series of the year. And it's not just because of the play on stage. It's also the storyline surrounding it. So let's talk about the teams themselves before we get to the players. So there you had the Chicago team with all eyes on them. A lot of people were looking at this series and saying this is a formality. Like, who's Florida? How they, they should be so lucky that they made it this far, right? Like, that's how people were talking about Florida going into this series. And so, already you had that overwhelming advantage majority for Chicago, the mighty huntsman that just came off of a series, tournament home series win, right? So you had that at number one. Then you had Atlanta waiting in the final. So you had that built-in desired matchup just waiting for everybody of Atlanta and Chicago. 
Then you had the personal. Then you had the brother versus brother. And to me, that is still one of my favorite storylines and most fascinating things of this season was the whole Arcides and Prestini storyline and their careers this season and how they intertwined, especially in this series. This was the first time that we were going to see the twins play against each other in a competitive matchup like this. And they had all of this talk going into it. Oh, I need to... Pristini needed to prove himself because he was the weak link of E-United. They win a championship and he was the weak link. And he needed to separate from his twin brother in order to prove himself. And then there's Arcides with the band of legends. He has Scump and Formal and Gunless and, and, and Envoy with him. And he has a team of goats that are like seemingly unstoppable at this point. And Prestini is uh, surrounded by young players and players who have made name for themselves, but not nearly to the level of Chicago. And now Prestini has the, a, a chance to prove it, right? He has a chance to finally step out of the shadow. And then the match happens. And I'll go through the, uh, the results because it was a fascinating match. It went five games. It was a tight hard point on Nazir Cave, 250 to 241. Tight hard point. Okay, then you have a 6-4 search and destroy. Chicago take a 2-0 lead. Seems like all systems go. Chicago's going to the final. Everyone's already like probably going to the concession stand or going to the washrooms, whatever. Then Florida squeak out a domination 167 to 121. Very close domination game three. Oh, wait a sec. Oh, wow. Good for Flo and even then the thought was, oh, good for Florida. Wow, they got it. They got it. They got a dub off of Chicago. One. Then they soundly win on hard point hackney yard 250 186 okay now we're like whoa wait a second but still nobody's thinking reverse sweep everyone's like wow good for them for tying it but we're still thinking of chicago and then they come and run roughshod on gunrunner search and destroy 6-2 absolutely dominate the huntsman in that final search and destroy and then that iconic image of as soon as they win the series prestini jumps out of his chair and he's like pointing at himself and he's pointing at his brother and the other team and he's like you needed me i didn't need you and he was like this this emotion, this wave of emotion just comes over Prestige because he finally jumps out of his brother's shadow. And then, if you recall, Arcides just sits there. Everyone else turns their chair around, fist bumps, maybe they get up and hug, but Arcides just sits there and he's just slouched. And then his brother, to his credit, Prestini walks over to him and hugs him from behind. Right? And then after that, I'm sorry, this is very long-winded. After that, Courage has an interview with both of them on stage, and then he joins us at ESPN, and you can just tell how drained they were, Emily. It was like that hour was the most draining emotional roller coaster that both brothers had, and I'm sure the fans resonated with that as well. And for that reason, I picked that as my, uh, my uh, series of the year. It's a good one. It is a good one. It was, it was, it was fun. It was to a cover really, too. it was, yeah, I was going to say it was a, I'm really grateful that I was like there to watch it in person. And then of course we come to find out that uh, Prestini would join his brother later. Yeah, would season. later join the Huntsman. <laughs> in the corollary to that, he's now a Huntsman. Uh, let's go on to our next. <laughs> Just like you called it, Ardes. That's like right. You called it. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I, yes, I do deserve that credit. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, best player on a bad team. Is there any other choice? There's okay. If you don't pick this person, you Please. 
have not been watching the Call of Duty League 2020. There's only one choice, folks. One. And that person is? Octane. If it's not Octane, you yeah. Like, honestly, he's been putting up insane numbers despite so many problems with this team. Uh, you know, some of which are internal and we'll probably never know, quite honestly. But, like, man, like, get get this guy a team that works well together and can transform his, like, formidable gun prowess into wins. Because he, what like, he didn't double the KD of his team, but, like, it's significantly higher and they have, what, the second lowest KD, you said? Uh... You have the stats on that, right? They're they're very low in KD. Yeah, 0.98 overall KD. They're tied for third last. It's because they died. Min they they actually didn't die a lot, but they have the lowest kill count in the entire league. Understandably so. But Octane's KD is 1.24, which is tied for mo uh, best in the entire league. Like that's ridiculous. For this team to have the player that has the highest KD in the league one of three is just like ludicrous. He literally yeah. is LeBron James on the Cleveland Cavaliers in like the late two thousands where they made that finals appearance. And LeBron is literally backpacking the whole team onto the court, you know, like that's octane octane basically carried this whole team. Unbelievable. Yeah. And like, this was through like a bunch of roster changes where, you know, they're going to bring, they like, they're going to bench Enable to improve their S&D. Their S&D doesn't improve with Pander. They bring back Enable for one map, and then he doesn't come back. And then uh, Karma retires, which is still another thing, big thing to happen this year. <laughs> That's kind of been overshadowed by all of the other things that happened in Call of Duty League this year. Um but yeah, like props to you, Octane, man. You know, like you're insane. <laughs> if anything, he just kept his GOAT status on a team where nobody should have kept their GOAT status. Yeah, like I I hope that you continue. I hope that the season does not has not frustrated you so much that you are going to quit con at the end of the year because I want to see you keep playing. Maybe he'll team with Karma again on uh, in next year's. You just release. want Karma to come back. I and do. <laughs> I do too, but I I like don't think it's happening. But I would also like that to happen. I just I don't know why. I'm just like it's modern warfare. I don't know. In my head, I'm just like welcome back, Karma, is what I'm trying to say. Welcome back to Con if he comes back. We can also say you called it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, this leads in actually because uh, to to our next category, which is. Uh, best player to join the CDL after launch weekend. So, as I mentioned, uh, Octane has a 1.24 KD. There are two other players in the CDL that have a 1.24 KD, which is the highest in the league. This is across the entire season. That would be Wuskin on the London Royal Ravens and Skies on the Florida Mutineers. And if not for Skies, my pick for best player to join the CDL after launch weekend uh, would probably be in consideration for MVP of his team, but also for the league, especially online. And that would be Awakening. So Awakening to me uh, was a breath of fresh air for this team.
Uh, and and he consistently was in the conversation for best player of the tournament, especially when he first joined the league. I believe it was in March or maybe a little later. Somewhere around that time he joined uh, early, early when the online switch happened. And we mentioned this on last week's show. Uh, Brian Saint, the coach of the Minnesota Rocker, actually revealed that he considered bringing Awakening to the team at mm-hmm. one point in the season before Florida did so. Uh, but opted to stay with his uh, his roster. Imagine how that would have looked. But Awakening is just one of those clutch players that just, you know, you bring a new face in and the other players seem to uh, rally around him and uh, somebody that makes everybody better on the roster and his stats speak for themselves. A 1.17 KD, a 96.96 Slayer rating, by the way, uh, and just unbelievable across all game modes and his impact was immediate as with him on the team that the uh, Florida Mutineers would go on to win three home series weekends so for me uh, in a field where you can have many options in terms of best player to join the CDL since the inaugural weekend my choice is awakening so I don't disagree with your choice, but uh, I am going to shout out Mac because I think that when we talk about the New York subliners uh, going into launch weekend, we were like, this is a team that is stacked. They should do really, really well. Um, they did not. They did not perform well then. They did not perform well in the subsequent weeks. Um you know, they brought in, uh, they benched zero for happy. And then the the last roster move they made is, is bringing him back. And while I don't think you can see like the same, like, oh my gosh, Florida were, you know, like they, like Florida were already a um, bracket contending team before their roster changes, right? Um as we talked about their land appearance uh, back when Preston was still on the team. But the New York subliners were a team with a ton of talent that were doing terribly. And you can, as soon as Mac joined, that's when you kind of started hearing the, like the scrim version of the subliners where people are like, this team is super, super good. We, we like, they, they, they push us every time we face them in scrims, et cetera. We heard this from multiple top teams and they were slowly like you could see the the increase in their performance um so it's not necessarily about mac as an individual player although i think he's you know he's been really really strong individually but in terms of being an addition to a roster and really being that like final piece that they needed to really start contending for titles and eventually win one um, that's why I picked Mac for this award. I think his arrival on the subliners starting roster was a really important piece of their later success in the season. And also one of the reasons why, like, I think people are still kind of considering them, even though like, obviously their most recent performance is definitely not what they would have wanted. Um, I, I think people are still considering them as kind of like a maybe dark horse to, to make some noise at champs. Um, and and that's all comes from like since Mac joined and that's not to say like oh my gosh Mac is backpacking this team right because that's not true either they have talent top to bottom on this lineup um but his something about his arrival just made the team click it's uh, it's great that he got his home series win 
right? It's great mm-hmm. that New York got their home series win, especially to because because the argument's always going to be if you don't, then it's going to be like, yeah, the team was good, but like there is no but yeah. with New York. They got their tournament home series win and they deserved it exactly for the reasons you said there. And Mac is also very elusive too, by the way. In interviews, he's very like tight-lipped. He won't give you too much stress. He's he's very he's vetoes the company line. So good for you, Mac. Good job. Good job for not giving any secrets. No trade secrets for Mac. You sound bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I, I I actually commend him for that. See, the problem is is like the interviews that we like the interviews that we did, like this this all goes on the GA train, so to speak. You know what I mean? I guess it depends person to person, but like it's like the the tone was different at some points in the season as it was at other points in the season, I guess I will say. And and I happened to get Mac when uh, the tone was a little bit more conservative than open, I guess. I guess also, but yeah, it depends on player frustration level, probably. I guess that's a good point too. Maybe I maybe I maybe we should only talk to people that are tilted. But these. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these five people are definitely not tilted. These are the MVP candidates for Call of Duty League. Emily had a chance to speak with all of them. The interviews will be up at youtube.com slash ESPN Esports. We have clips of every single MVP candidate for you right now. First, here is Shotzi of the Dallas Empire. Yeah, I was going to say, outside of launch weekends, you've had a, like seemingly no issue whatsoever with uh, adapting to Call of Duty. So um, h- how much do you think that launch weekend affected like the perception of you and the Dallas Empire initially? And do you feel like you've finally overcome that uh, throughout the season? Yeah, so in the beginning of the launch weekend, um, the understanding of uh, the game was like there, but like... It wasn't at the same time. Like, I understood the game fully, but I didn't understand it as much as my teammates did. And I feel like, you know, in the, the launch weekend, you know, obviously with the rules and all that stuff, like, it wasn't in my favor. I didn't, you know, feel comfortable. That's why we made the rule switch after that event. But, mm-hmm. you know, after that event, I feel like I grew from the event. And, uh, you know, I started to, I mean, obviously our coach, Ray, helped us a lot, or me, I should say. He's helped me with, uh, you know, understanding the game more, how to value my life, all that good stuff. And I feel like once we bring him on board, you know, you started to see like a lot of, um, you know, impactful plays on the map that uh, I, I didn't usually do on, you know, the launch weekend. But, um, but yeah, I feel like uh, the role switch honestly helped me a lot um, after launch weekend. So all of these interviews will be available at ESPN.com slash esports. Let's keep the ball rolling. Let's hear from all the MVPs. Here is Celium of the Atlanta phase. I'm going to start like at the beginning of the season because I feel like uh, a lot of people, when they talk about your your own uh, participation in the race for MVP, they didn't start talking about you until the phase home series. So what was it about that home series that really clicked for you as a player? Um, for me, that home series, like our team was like playing really well. And for me, I feel like I was playing my best at the event. Um, I feel like I had a lot of like, really good moments from from myself personally and uh i feel like i was like like doing everything right like for myself even though you've put up greater numbers statistically like in events prior uh like after that um especially the like the snd kill record i think is the one yeah. that everyone points to um do you feel like that was your like definitive best event on the year um i mean it, it's up it's up there for sure but i don't think it's my like my best event yet 
I feel like I still have a lot to uh to like show for myself and like this upcoming event or champs. So I'm excited for that one. Um, obviously, like the past few events, you guys haven't had the results that you've wanted. Uh, how are you preparing for champs going forward? Um, our hard points, I think we got to fix that. We got to tighten up towards the end of the games and dominations. I got to stop trolling. I keep dying on. I keep dying <laughs> on blocking. I'm blocking and then I die. And we flip. I got to stop trolling. I got to play more discipline on the doms. But other than that, we're like playing really good. And our losses is pretty much Dallas. Mm-hmm. I think we lost them four times. And then lost to one different team once, so it's, it's just them. We just gotta, we just gotta tighten up hard points, stop trolling. That's about it. And then for you specifically, what do you think your greatest strength this year has been? I think me, like I mastered the AR role. Like I know what to do on the map at all times, and the things I could do with my AR up close. Like I can finesse. I can, I could do so much things as a lot of mains can't do because I'm like that personal because I've been a flex before. I like, I can get in the mix. <laughs> Atlanta phase and simp. This one's not a surprise. Here's the clip. How do you keep motivated uh, when you've already like technically, I guess, like reached the top of the league? Um, Personally or just like in general? Both like for the team and then for also you yourself. Okay. Um, personally, I stay motivated just because I want to I wanna stay on top. I want to be the best. I want to prove to everyone that, you know, I am the best in the game and that I, I'm going to be this way for, for years to come. And uh, team-wise, I guess everyone's kind of the same way. You know, we all kind of want to solidify ourselves as hopefully a dynasty team in the future. So, you know, we just want to win all these tournaments. And, yeah, I guess that's why it's frustrating for us personally when we get a bunch of – like we get the finals and lose a lot. Because, you know, we all just want to be on top. Yeah, I think um, one of the more telling things was, I know a lot of people have been like, well, maybe because they win a lot or they don't have, like, technically, because they're already in first seed, they don't have as much to play for. But then this past weekend, like, I saw you guys after that round 11 S&D. Like, that was, you were all, like, incredibly frustrated. So I guess how are you going to take that over the next two weeks going into champs? Um, I, I think that uh, the Toronto home series that we just played was probably the best crowd we've played all year. Um, I, I think we still should have probably 3 0 them or 3 one them if we didn't throw away the first map. So I, I, I think we're still there on the top with like at this time of the year. But these next two, three weeks, I think we're just gonna, we're just gonna just keep practicing and just making sure we're working out these small mistakes. And finally, envoy of the Chicago Huntsman. The first thing I want to start with is at the very beginning of the season in your like Huntsman intro video, you said like, yes, I'm aiming for an MVP. So just how does it feel to be considered? Uh, I mean, it feels great. Um, I couldn't have done it without my, you know, my team's performance this year. I mean, although we, we didn't live up to all the standards that we, we'd hope so, like we hope we would. Um, we still did very well winning two tournaments in the regular season, hoping to take on a third here at Champs. Um, now I'm crossing my fingers, right? Uh, not get last like last year, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a, a phenomenal year, you know, a couple hiccups along the way um, with like the first season, but overall, I'm really happy uh, with the first season of the CDL. What was it like going from a team like Gen G, which was like relatively new to COD, not super well known? Uh, you guys had like a pretty, a pretty good year outside of, we'll put like champs aside. <laughs> Um, what was it like going from that to the Huntsman, which is a new franchise, but you guys picked up a ton of optic supporters because of both Hector and Scum. 
So the biggest thing I I have like for like a difference between the two is when I was on Gen G, we were considered the dark horse, like every event, mm-hmm. like, like, can this team win the event? You know, if they, if they get over the hurdle, you know, they might be able to, but I mean, a lot of people counted us out now come this year, people expect us to win, which is uh, a bit of a difference. I mean, some people would say it's a little bit of pressure on your shoulders, but I don't really look at it like that. You know, I just go out there do me, you know, same thing, my team, you know, we're just trying to do the best that we can um, and, and put in the work every day uh, to strive for that goal. All right. So we got Shotzi, Selium, Sky, Simp, and Envoy. Who, in your opinion, Emily, will be MVP and why? Uh, I think it is like if so, we're doing this for the regular season, right? Yes. They're not waiting until like through champs because in that case, I'd say it depends on whose team wins champs, but uh, especially like if it's, you know, we're looking at Dallas, Atlanta, and the Huntsman. Um, I think it's going to be Shotzi for for a few reasons. Uh, I think that his contra- his like single contributions to the Dallas Empire um, are slightly more significant uh, when you look at it like statistically and also just the actual gameplay. Um, I think they're more visibly obvious, actually, I should say. Not that they're more significant, but I think they're easier to see, uh, especially for a layman. Um, I think like people like Skies, for example, and and Celium and Envoy, like like Simp and Shotzi are the two where they're they're kind of like highlight reels. Like everyone's a highlight reel, but those two are the ones that really stand out, right? As as visually impressive. Um, someone like Skies has been like just so consistently good across the season, I don't think is going to get the nod, especially, um, you know, when Florida didn't perform like quote unquote as well as, as we might've expected them to in their final series. Um, and then someone like Envoy who like, I've made no secret that he's one of my favorite players to watch. A lot of the things he does in terms of earning this reputation is like a really intelligent player. Um, his routes, his flanks, that kind of thing. Those are going to go unnoticed by a lot of people. So I think Shotzi's contributions have been uh, insane. I think he was like, as much as I think the narrative, because it was dragged out for so long, the narrative of like Shotzi and Nilly have to show up. Otherwise this team is done. So is, uh, was a bit unfair for how long it lasted. I think the fact that Shotzi showed up and showed up so significantly well was like one of the driving forces behind Dallas's success. So for that reason, like like you mentioned, all of those categories that will fall under the radar that really shouldn't but will, I wonder if optically that's why Simp might win here. Like like for 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 the categories that will definitely not fly under the radar that will that may in in fact even be considered more heavily weighted than they should be. Like Simp broke records this year, right? Like he said, Sel- has the S and D record too, so they both. Yeah, they Simp and Selium set records, records. And, and, and Simp kept breaking his own records, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, not to say that that should be the the reason why someone wins an MVP, but that's something that people talk about. That's something that gets that gets shared on social media and people remember. And that's already a team that was in first place pretty much all season long. So if Simp and or Selium, I should say, win this award i don't think people are going to necessarily bat an eye or 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 sorry or sort of object simply because even if there are different categories that other competitors certainly thrived in 
those ones may not be talked about as much as the categories or even just the flash, the sizzle that Simp and Selium provided this season. So I'm not saying that's the right way to look at it, nor am I saying that Simp and Selium are not deserving. I'm saying I wonder if that's going to sway the judges per se. Per se. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone on this list is deserving. Like, I won't, I won't take issue with anyone who's named MVP. Honestly, on the mm-hmm. on this list, like, I'm, I, I won't fight it. Who's your MVP of the of the year outside outside of Awakening, obviously? I mean, Skies to me would be my pick simply because he was just a beast. Like throughout, like mm-hmm. he was somebody who like performed all season long, right? And he was like Mister Reliable, and he's like somebody who the Florida Mutineers. Awakening is definitely a lifeblood of this team, but he was someone who really like sparked a fire on the other players of the team, including Skies, right? So that's why I think that when you look at Skies, like he's just his stats are outworld, otherworldly, and he's just somebody who you rely on to get the job done. And he did that time and time again. So like I would say Skies of this this list, but yeah, like honestly. I, I would not be surprised if any of these players won. I think that this is a close call. I really do. I agree. I don't think that there's a clear favorite here, and I don't think that there would be a snub if any of them won. It's like, oh, man, how dare Selium not win this year? Ah, No, that's not going to happen. No one's going to be like, maybe maybe friends and family, but other than that, like uh, uh, any pundit looking at this would be like, you can make a case for all of them. Yes, and I think a lot of it also depends on like what you what you value and and MVPs are typically given to someone who's again, a very visibly obvious performer has insane numbers, um, obviously made like a very uh, visible contributions to their team, either both statistically and through gameplay. Um, I always enter for me voting for MVP. I always enter this weird discussion of like, where would the team be without this person and how much is their contribution, their specific contribution really helped the team overall, which is something that's like, it's impossible to do like a, like you can say technically wins above replacement in, in COD. You can just literally look at the numbers, but like that doesn't actually tell you a, a, a true like war statistic. Uh, like if, if you're looking at uh, substitutes rather, um, or if you're looking at like, if we replace this player with this player and their numbers, because they wouldn't necessarily be the same. We don't really have a cal- way to, way of calculating that. We just started getting, statistics uh more this year because someone decided to do them so um maybe that's also <laughs> something the chair can work on uh i think that you know I-, I think that's why it will probably be shotzi but like any of these guys could win it and i would not be unhappy so those are our picks you can feel free to let us know either in the chat or on twitter uh, who will win the mvp award of course we are inching towards champs inching towards playoffs next week we will have a full playoff preview as we finally get playoffs around the horizon here in call of duty league thank you very much for joining us on search and destroy every wednesday 6 p.m eastern whether you are watching us on twitch twitter espn app or youtube or listening to us in podcast form we appreciate it see you next thank week you.